At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. Every day, we rise, challenging ourselves to work for what we believe in. At U.S. Border Patrol, protecting our borders is more than a job. It's a calling. Agents answer the call, working together to keep our country and communities safe. If you are ready for a new mission, join U.S. Border Patrol and go beyond. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. Welcome back to season two of Football Americana. I'm Yael Averbush West. I'm here with Aaron West. And he, I actually asked him before this, like, what do I um, introduce you as? Because obviously he's my husband. That's where the West gets put on the end of my name from. Uh, you may know him from Twitter. You probably know him from Twitter. Um, really just in soccer media now, works for CBS. I'll let him explain in a brief sentence who he is. Cause I was like, how do I introduce all the many things you do in the game of soccer? <laughs> yeah. I, I just say I cover soccer in a number of different capacities. <laughs> yes. A number of capacities. So if you want to know about anything going on in the game of soccer, women's side, men's side, us, um, this is me plugging him. You should probably follow Aaron. That's how I learned a lot of soccer news as well. Um, I don't even talk to him. I just go on Twitter and see what he's doing every day. <laughs> Um, I wish that was kind of, that was a joke. It's not really a joke. Yeah. So we're here in our house. We're going to talk soccer. Obviously we're each going to interview each other, but first just wanted to recap kind of a lot has happened since, um, our last episode, last season. First, we have another kid in the house. Now two young ones. They're both both (laughs) upstairs. So we are responsible for keeping two humans alive. Two lives. Yes. It's a, a big responsibility, obviously. <laughs> um, in the professional scene, we um, had the CBA signed for NWSL. So I was involved a lot in that process. A, a lot going on. MLS season just started. NWSL season about to start. We got both national teams in action. So really this season, what I'm going to dive into with all my guests is looking at all of that and really going a little bit deeper into our American leagues, um, not just our top leagues, like looking at, you know, USL, talking about the women's side and, you know, if we're going to have a second league on the women's side, also the U.S. women's national team, what is it going to take to keep them at the top, the U.S. men's national team. But first, um, before we really get into all that, Aaron and I are going to interview each other and then end with some fun questions. So, I'm going to let Aaron first ask me some questions. This is actually what he does for his job. Usually I'm kind of new to this. So I was like, Aaron, do you, you know, here's how you do the interview. I have a questions pulled up, but he does this for a living. So I'll just let him go with it. I think I can do it. Um, all right. Well, my first question for you, obviously we are here together a lot. I hear a lot of your phone calls. We talk a lot about this, but for the people out there and for me, like through your eyes, how do you, what is your day-to-day as a GM and how do you go about recruiting players and building a team? Yeah, so it's funny. People ask me this all the time. Like, what's a day in the life as a GM? And that's the funny thing is there there is no 
there's no schedule to the day. There's no one thing I can say is, oh, here's what I typically do because nothing's typical. I think you've seen this, like calls come in all times of day and night. I'm like feeding breakfast to the kids and rescheduling a game. Literally, like I was uh, I was at the doctor's office on the toilet making a trade at one point. <laughs> That's probably not usually public information, but like I'm uh, doing work at all times of day, all, all different kinds of stuff surrounding the team, not just the roster, but just in general, um, really every aspect of the organization. So when they say general manager, I think the general part, like emphasis on the general. Part of the <laughs> okay. Um, now talk to me about recruiting when we we're in a new era where we have a whole lot of data, there's big data everywhere. Um, where there's a lot of different metrics that players are judged on, including the eye test. But we're, we've shifted into a, a an era where there's a lot of actual, the computers are making a lot of these decisions. What are your thoughts on the eye test versus using quantitative data and what the, the mix is and should be? Yeah, so I can tell you my opinion, and I'll tell you what I think it should be, <laughs> which is probably pretty different. Um, you know, I, I'm not a data person, and I think you obviously know this about me, but maybe other people don't. I feel the game. That's how I have always done it as a player. I never liked looking at stats or looking back at clips and analyzing small movements. I just like to feel like, how did it feel? Were we dominating? Was I playing well with my teammates? And I do everything by feel. Obviously, in the professional sphere, that's not always the best way to, to build a team and, and to do things. You know, I, I'm really fortunate. We have a, a wonderful technical staff that they have taken the lead on all of this. And unfortunately or fortunately in the women's game right now, I think the data isn't where it is on the men's side. So sometimes it's actually hard to make decisions based on data. And there hasn't consistently been the data available to over time make decisions like that within NWSL especially. So because of that, I think we still rely heavily, not just on the eye test, but I would say like, this is corny, but on the heart test, kind of like how you genuinely feel about a person as a part of your team and their contribution. And a lot of it really isn't based on data, isn't even based on seeing moments in games. I think we're getting there as a game and we have to always um, run our heart test or our eye test by the data. Obviously, if it doesn't match up or if you're, you just like somebody, you can't make decision based on that. But in the women's game right now, a lot of it still is building a team based on how you feel someone's going to perform as a player. I played with a lot of these, these women. So I'm also going by what I know about them and what I think about the trajectory of their career. So not where they are right now, but my knowledge of, of their professionalism, how they're taking care of their bodies and things like that, that maybe other people don't have access to, you know, it's not going to be, that's not going to be on the internet and data. Um, so a lot of what I do is by feel. Maybe I'll be proven wrong. And then we, next time we talk, I say, I got to go straight to the data, but we'll see. Okay, that kind of leads directly into the next question, which is, you know, a lot of these players, you've played with them. You might've grown up playing with them. You might've played with them briefly through your career. You've probably played against just about all of them, except for some of the younger players. Talk me through a very specific deal, a double deal, honestly. Um, Ali Krieger, Ashlyn Harris, it was it, it kind of exploded the internet a little bit. Talk me through that deal. I, uh, those are, you know, you speak of players, like I, I've played with Ashlyn over the years, actually lived with her in college for a little, so that says enough about uh, someone, what you know about somebody. Um, and then Allie Krieger, same thing. We've been teammates on the professional level, the national team. But for me, really a huge part of, of what, uh, how I view these deals, it's really hard for me to see players in a transactional way. I don't know if I'll ever be able to, maybe one day if I do this for a while, but for me, these are people. And the first thing I want to know is, do they want to come to my team? And why do they want to come to my team? So I don't even go into, I don't care about the money or the contract until I know 
does someone want to be here and, and why do they want to be here? How, for how long do they want to be here? What is it going to look like for them to move their family? You know, these are two people with, with a child now. Mm-hmm. This is not just a, hey, get on the plane and show up at a new team. This is a big life decision. So for me, this deal was about uh, the logistics of their life and, and their ambition and their career right now and understanding and making sure that's aligned. And then we talk, you know, you talk the numbers and make sure it makes sense. So, mm-hmm. but that's honestly... of the conversation, 90% is the rest is how do they fit into our team culture, making sure we're elevating things here and, and maintaining what's special about it. And what is it, what does it look like for them in their lives? And how are they going to feel about being here? And one of the first things I said to them was, you guys know it snows here, right? Because like, I'm seeing them on social media and their beautiful house in Orlando laying out by the pool. And I'm looking outside here and I'm kind of like, I don't know about this. So that was, actually one of my biggest concerns was the weather <laughs> but they made it through preseason they're doing well <laughs> yeah. okay how do you how do you grow and build a team like you are now the general manager of this club you it's you can build it basically in your vision within reason correct so what is your vision and how do you go about achieving that with, within a team and a culture and maybe I should ask you that. <laughs> so a lot of, so you guys know a lot of my um, decisions and things, things I'm considering just philosophically, I will run by Aaron because he knows the game so well. And we'll get into that in a little bit um, and knows the culture of the game so well, and also knows these players and people. So um, probably a better question for you, but I'll try to answer. Um, for me, it's about looking at things in stages and understanding where we're coming from as a club and where we want to go. And it's not enough to just have a vision of where you want to be as a club and start today and go there. You have to understand the history of where the club's been. And for me, I have a very deep understanding of the history here. The club was Sky Blue FC, my first professional club. I played here for two years. I followed it really closely. We literally live and I grew up 20 minutes from, from the facilities here. So there's a bigger picture than just what we want to be. It's an understanding of um, what makes this part of the country special and how we tie in with that and how we represent um, that North Jersey, New York, all of New Jersey, really, and New York and the tri-state area soccer culture. Then there's an understanding of what the players here who've been here for a while have been through and what makes this club really special, I'll tell you, is the diversity of and the grittiness of the women on the team. There, anything else surrounding them is great. I hope we win. I hope we, you know, it's great. We play in Red Bull Arena. All that's wonderful, but the women on the team make it special. So how do we maintain that diversity, that grittiness that, you know, they've been through a lot here. The players have been here for a while and, and use that to our advantage, but also elevate. We don't want them to have to struggle to prove their grittiness. We want them to show their gritty and the, and they're treated amazingly. We lay out right. the red carpet for them and they can still be gritty. It's a selective but, yeah. grit, a grit on the pitch. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So um, yes, I think it's, a, it's really about understanding where we've been and where we're going and not just, you know, understanding one of those without the other is kind of useless. So I do have a really ambitious vision. I think mm-hmm. we all share that vision, but it's also where are we realistically and, and what's happened in the past that will then bring us there. Okay. Now the last question is, and for a little bit of context, I told my friends when you first took the Gotham job that you took it on an interim basis. I told them, and I quote, there is no way this will be interim. Uh, I saw the very first weird. time you, you, you set your teeth into this, the first day when you started making calls, when you started putting systems in place. I was like, she's not giving this up. This is, you live for this. What is your favorite part of this job? Well, I'm ashamed to say you do know me pretty well. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, literally the second I made one decision, it was like the most minor decision. I was like, oh, I can't leave. <laughs> My favorite part. I mean, this is actually, I think, 
I've started to realize a, a pattern in my personality is I like to build towards something. I like to have this vision and I like to think about the big pieces and kind of orchestrate putting it together and helping to put it together with other people. So for me, that's what it is, is how do we, how do we build that? It's the same thing with everything I do. It's who I was as a player. And I think that's why I like it is that's who I was as a soccer player. I wanted to be a professional. I had in my mind who I wanted to be. And every day it was where I was against that. That's Mm -hmm. what I'm measuring. So someone might say you played well, but I said, no, no, I didn't because I'm picturing this. And same thing is like, oh, it's going well at the club. We're getting a lot of positive feedback right now. Yeah, maybe, but I'm imagining this. So I love, that's really exciting to me. And as you could tell, I, I get a lot of energy from that. It's like thinking about what it could be, but, but then doing the real steps in the day to day. So even if it's the smallest thing, like moving us closer there in, in the each little decision or whatever happens, I, that builds my energy. And I get, I probably talk a lot and talk really fast about it. And he's like, got to put my headphones on. <laughs> so yeah, that's what happens in our households. But, um, okay. Good questions. I said, you must've done this before. So now I got some for you. You're going to be interviewed now. Um, yeah, this is weird for me. yeah. Yeah. Now we're going to flip the script here. A little bit. <laughs> um, so I obviously you're my husband and part of why you're on the, on my podcast is because I can easily call you up and say, Hey, can we record? But I think your perspective on U.S. soccer culture and, and soccer culture is really unique. And you guys, he watches and reads and sees everything. Like I'm talking everything, nothing escapes him. So his depth of knowledge and all of this is incredibly impressive. But I want to know, you know, talk to us a little bit about U.S. soccer media. So you typically cover more of the European game. You're traveling to Europe, unfortunately for me, leaving me here with the two kids. But talk about, you know, kind of how, how do you compare and contrast U.S. soccer and, and your media perspective versus how it is in Europe when you go to Europe or when you're covering a European team versus in the U.S.? I think the biggest thing is probably access and the way that media is viewed here. Media overseas, media in Europe is, is very formal. It's very unfriendly. Um, players don't trust the media, I would say, way more. I would say I think the U.S. media is way more friendly with players. It's way closer. I think a lot of media in general across sports is way closer to the the game. There are obviously journalists in 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 Europe who are close to players and close to the game, but it's it's such a more antagonistic relationship, I would say. And me going being American media going to Europe, players are a lot more open, I think, to me because they see that there's a friendlier relationship. Whereas I think a lot of players kind of go into interviews very, very guarded in general in Europe because anything they say might just be a front page taken out of context. Like they have to to really, really watch a lot of the things they say. And I, I think it's a more laid back atmosphere in, in U.S. media. That's interesting. I've actually never heard you say that. So I'm getting new information too. <laughs> but um, so that's actually an interesting segue because I want to talk about social media. Obviously, that's... I was joking, but not really joking about Twitter. Like what impact do you think social media has on that has a U.S. soccer culture? Is it because in part of social media or is it just, it just happens to be the culture of the game? I think U.S. soccer culture is so young. Social media is shaping it a lot and the viewpoints of people. I think in Europe, in South America, in in these countries that have had football for centuries, they know the game. (laughs) They're not 
having their perception really shaped by going on Twitter and reading what uh, an Aaron West says or someone not. else. <laughs> they know what's going on, but we have a young culture. We have a lot of people that don't really know the game. The culture is not so steeped where everyone, most people grow up watching basketball and football. They, they kind of understand what's going on. We don't really have that basis here for a lot of people. So I think more so in the U.S., social media kind of shapes a lot of the viewpoints for, for a lot of people, actually. And have you seen that evolve during even just your, your time kind of being a social media personality? Yeah, because, I mean, when I was playing, there was no social media. So it was just like what you what you read or who you talked to. And especially me growing up in North Carolina, I didn't have that many people who knew the game. So it was what I was reading, and it was usually European uh, magazines or publications, English-speaking. So I think... There is a really, really interesting online U.S. soccer culture where it can kind of shape a lot of the opinions of a lot of people. Um, and it's very it's very interesting to watch it grow and have changed over the years and grown a lot more powerful because it just came from literally nothing to yeah. shaping the landscape. How can we, I guess what I'm thinking as you're talking is how can we use that to our advantage to help grow the sport? Like, is that actually a, maybe a secret advantage of ours to grow this sport? and kind of close that gap because obviously, yeah, we're, we're newer. I mean, I think there's a, a, an interesting opportunity to kind of shape how we as a country view this sport because like from my perspective, it seems natural that our national team specifically, and I, I don't want to get too ahead if, if you're like, for me, it seems natural that our national team should be black and brown and minority and heavily minority because that's what the country looks like. That's what soccer is. It should be, in my opinion, a, a lower class sport. Um, I think in most professional sports should draw or do draw mainly from lower the lower classes in general, socioeconomically lower on the scale. And I think soccer should. It should be there should be more access. That's a whole different issue. But I, I think in terms of shaping viewpoints, like that's my viewpoint. And I think people who have no idea what this sport should look like may be listening to that. They don't know what the sport is in general. They don't know what the culture of the sport is. And we're kind of building that online. You know, that's really interesting. I think we need to have you back on actually just talk <laughs> about that in all seriousness. I know we're kind of doing like a lighthearted, joking, shorter episode, but there's there's a lot in that. That, that topic is a podcast. Yeah. Uh, probably not even one episode. It's a whole podcast. <laughs> it's, it's a series. <laughs> yeah. Um, so last for you, before we get into some fun questions, I've heard you kind of give advice before people looking to get into the space. What advice would you have to people? I know people look and they say, oh my gosh, he gets to travel, he gets to do this. It's not all easy and it has not been an easy road to get there. I'll let you guys know. I've seen some of the ups and downs, but what advice would you give someone who wants to do what you do? My first like half joking or quarter joking advice is like to think about whether you really want to do this. It's not a career path like a lawyer or a doctor where like you get your degree and you're probably going to have a job. There are a very few, there's a very few of these jobs. Uh, they disappear at will. They do. I've had they jobs disappear. literally just disappear from under me when I was doing great. They just, the industry or the job itself did not exist. This, the media landscape is constantly shifting. What is expected is constantly shifting. Um, it's very, very taxing. There's no real off days. It doesn't pay that well. <laughs> but it's great, you guys. <laughs> you have to really, really ask yourself, is that what I want? Like, is this what I want? Knowing this is the reality of this. And then from there, once you get past that, it's, 
Creating content is number one. You have to know that you are able to write effectively. You have to be able to, if you want to be on camera, you have to be able to communicate your ideas effectively with your mouth. <laughs> you have to be able to look someone in the eye and say what you're thinking concisely. You have to be able to understand what is happening in a situation and synthesize that for people who are not at that situation. So my biggest advice, honestly, is to learn how to create content and do it. Create it for yourself before they come and ask you to do it. No one's going to ask you to work for them if they don't know what you can do. You have to have a, a built up resume. I started a blog. I wrote constantly. I started a podcast with friends. We recorded constantly. I was tweeting constantly. Building a brand is a massive thing in this day and age, especially in media. It's it's not just about like, hey, do you can you get information and pass it on? It's people... Do people want to hear what you have to say once you have the information? Are you interesting? There, there's a lot that kind of goes into it. And again, like that goes back to the beginning. Like this is not easy. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it's fun at a certain point, but there's also the like the downside of it where I went to Italy to the Napoli match and missed both games in person because right, at the, right after whistle, so I had to walk up to where we were sitting, missed the goal. 10 minutes before halftime, I had to go down to do my halftime hit. In transit, I missed another goal. So it's there's a lot of little things that make the job an actual job like i will never complain that this is the career I, I am able to do but there are a lot of things to complain about in the career i just i'm not gonna do it yeah. i mean i think a lot of careers are like that is that you see you see the the cool spots on tv and it's like being a professional player people would always be like oh my gosh that's awesome well what you're seeing when someone's in the game is yeah. like the the tip of the iceberg. And you've seen that little like diagram they put on social media where they shoot everything else below it. But yeah. I mean, I can attest to how many hours Aaron would spend watching soccer and tweeting when it wasn't his job. And I was pretty not happy with that, we'll say. That's yeah. a, probably an understatement. I was like, what are you doing? He said, I'm building my brand. And I was like, your brand? <laughs> and now I will shut up. <laughs> he built his brand. Um, but yeah, it's it's... All the unseen hours are really what makes it. It's not all all just glamour. So I do think we have a whole, another podcast episode, another podcast here in this conversation. But for the sake of time, we're going to wrap up with what we're going to call the false nine, which is some rapid fire questions. Okay. A little bit, a little bit of football, a little bit of just get to know Aaron, and I'm going to answer too. Uh, so we'll do you answer first, then I'll go for okay. each of these. So I might have some informed answers. Okay. I'll ask your, I'll ask the question now. What all time match would you want to attend? Okay. This is kind of split. So, which is a little bit cheating, but first answer is La Remontada 6-1 Barcelona against PSG. Can you translate Camus. for people what that the comeback, is? The comeback, the comeback, the famous comeback where Barcelona were down, I believe, 4-0 from the first leg and ended up winning 6-1. Yeah. We got to speak to everybody who doesn't know the encyclopedia yes. of soccer. That one in 2017 was, I, I've never been to Camp Nou. I think to be able to like be transported to that game and go to that game would be insane. Greatest comeback of all time, maybe. And then the other one is just a nostalgic one from the World Cup 1998, Brazil, Netherlands. It was a 1-1 game that ended 4-2 to Brazil in penalties, but I loved both those teams so much, the players from those teams, the colors from that World Cup and like the action. I, I remember everything from that World Cup so vividly. So probably that one in France or, yeah, La Remontada. Your answers are going to be better than mine. <laughs> but no, I... I think I was thinking about this. I've been to a World Cup final now, the last Women's World Cup final where um, we beat the Netherlands. Um, 
I would have like, yes, you were there for that too. I actually didn't even see you at all. <laughs> uh, he was down doing his media stuff. I was just in the stands as a regular person <laughs> with my sister. I would like to eventually see a men's World Cup final, but the game that's already occurred that I would like to have been at is the 1999 Women's World Cup final. Mm, I was, I, I went to the opening game actually in what was Giant Stadium and obviously watched that game and have seen clips, but just the, I mean, the atmosphere there looked. I don't I don't know if I've seen anything like that for a women's game yeah. since. Uh so yeah, I gotta go back to that one. Now, same thing, but what all-time concert would you want to be at? I don't know what specific concert of his, but basically any of Michael Jackson's concerts in his heyday. Like maybe one of the ones in like Romania where people were fainting just to see the <laughs> atmosphere, but probably in the States, but Michael Jackson. Um, I I kind of got to cheat on this because I saw the questions last night. So I was like, oh my God, concert, what do I want to be at? I think I want to go to a Backstreet Boys concert when they were big. And I know that sounds weird. I wasn't even a Backstreet Boys fan as a young person. I think I'm Not more even, of a fan now. I was going to say Pink, but you went to a Pink concert. I did go to so. a Pink concert, yeah. So I, I'm more of the poppy, like, boy band kind of thing. That's the concert I want to go to. Sure. Okay. Someone has to take a penalty to save your life, which is stressing me out even thinking about this. Uh, who do you pick? Take your penalty. Probably Mario Balotelli. Hmm. Uh, I wanted to, we'll talk more about that later. I'm curious. <laughs> uh, he's only like missed. I, I don't know if he's missed one professionally. And if he has, it was oh, like you have one. The stat, you have the actual stats. So, <laughs> you, went real, you got real serious in this question. I didn't go with stats. Weird. I went with a feeling on this. Uh, I have to say Messi. I just feel like he's not. I a feel he- like that is playing with your life. And I don't like that answer but as here, your husband. Okay, here's my reasoning. This shows why my... I love Messi, my but stats. his penalty record is but here's suspect the thing. I feel like if, if somebody... It depends on if they knew if they knew that your, if your life was at stake. I feel like Messi has no emotions. Yeah, but he playing even for care. Arce- <laughs> for playing for Argentina and playing for Barcelona means that some people's lives are at stake, basically. Okay, fair. I'll revisit, but right now my life is at risk. Um, I hate okay. that answer. First match, I love Messi. The first match you remember watching. Oh, man. That's a really good one. The first match I remember watching. I want to say it was from the, like... No, it was, a, it was a highlight tape. It was Ajax against maybe Dimbosh. But it was what year are we talking? It was this is like 1994, 95. Um, I grew up watching Ajax highlight tapes. My mom's best friend is the one who introduced us to soccer, and they had this plethora of just old soccer and uh, so many Ajax highlight tapes. And so it was, it had to be it like the very first, I like, I really, really remember watching Ajax when the the Dutch Cup, but I don't remember who it was against. But I just, it, it was it was an old Ajax game. Interesting. So I think yeah. mine was, I probably started watching a little bit after you. So in 94, we were actually in England during the World Cup. That was here. And we didn't even know because we didn't know anything about soccer. And our friends were like, oh, you don't, like, this is football. And we were like, what is this? I remember it being on, but I cannot say I watched those That's games. Great. And we were like, oh, is this happening in the US? <laughs> so yeah, we were very naive. But not that long after I got involved in playing. And similarly, we might, we had like people telling us, you know, what you need to watch. So we, now that I'm thinking about this, this is actually hilarious because obviously, you know, my dad, we, he found something we could subscribe to this like Italian soccer channel. Right. I don't know what it was. We have to ask him. He's actually upstairs watching the kids. It was all in Italian. We had no idea what we were watching and I'm going to really embarrass us right now, but we would do this really embarrassing version of an Italian accent 
like uh, kind of going at the, we, we saw this game and we would be like Parma versus Roma because it was Parma against Roma. We had no idea who those teams were. All we knew was the Parma versus, like what we heard. That was the only thing we heard them saying that we could understand. So we would always say this. It's still a thing. Like if you say this to my dad when you go upstairs, oh, he's going to yeah. laugh because that was for some reason, I think that same game might've been on a few times too. So like that was the only game I had ever seen. (laughs) Yeah. Again, I apologize for my Italian accent. That's not how it actually sounded, but in our minds, that was the only words we could understand. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. What player did you have a poster of in your room growing up? I don't remember if I ever had any physical posters because I don't even know if we could like get a hold of those back then. You guys were not that old, but like kind of in the soccer world we are. (laughs) I mean, we kind of are. Um, Ronaldo Phenomeno is is one of the very I think like if I had a poster the first one was probably Ronaldo Phenomeno I do remember like cutting out magazine articles and like putting them in scrapbooks and like postings like putting some of those around the room but it was Ronaldo Phenomeno I have a collage I made I probably still have it of it had me ham on it for sure it had Christine Lilly but I think there was this ad with Christine Lilly that I ripped out of a magazine. It wasn't even a poster. And it said, I I remember word for word. So I was going to say it said something like, but I know exactly what it said. It said, uh, it's just you and the ball, all the hours of practice, rain or shine. And all comes down to one thing. How dirty did you get? Which I don't know what the point of that was. <laughs> but then it was her like covered in mud, clearly a setup. But like yeah, yeah. I had that hanging. In my room. I probably good. still have it. That's honest. a solid first one. Yeah. Favorite stadium you've been to? Borussia Dortmund. Yellow wall is incredible. This is obviously before COVID when it was full. Flags waving. Um, they have a section of just standing only where it's like 22,000. That's what they call their yellow wall. And the noise, I think the best way I can put the atmosphere in the stadium is like friendly but menacing. Yeah. Um, which it was it was incredible there. The menacing thing is kind of it's kind of <laughs> scary. Um it's like it felt safe, but also it was hostile. It had the tension. For, for, yeah. uh, towards the opposing team. Yeah. Which was, yeah. I got to see uh, Barcelona play PSG in Camp Nou. I, that's that's probably my favorite I'm stadium I've been to. I will say, though, as a player, playing at Red Bull Arena is probably one of the best experiences. And this is so bad, but I was on the bench and their bench seats are so nice. <laughs> The field's nice. We do have really nice. I've yeah. sat on the bench. Seats were really very, very I was like nice, at the yeah. movie theater. Yeah, they're super <laughs> nice. I had to get up to go celebrate a goal. It's kind of annoying. <laughs> they're super, super nice. Favorite pair of sneakers. I'm not even going to answer this one. I'm just going to leave this to you. You can only pick one. That's a really, really tough decision for me. I don't. He has many. I have a lot. I have a lot that I care about. Probably my Concord Jordan 11s, which I've had for a very, very long time. And like in the midst of me selling sneakers off because I was trying to make it in this industry. Uh, and somebody, are, I don't know who, <laughs> told him he needed to sell some of his sneakers. Selling sneakers off, those were always the ones where I was like, I don't care what I sell. These are never getting sold. So probably my con- Concord okay. Jordan 11th. I'm, like I said, I'm not even going to answer that. Your go-to snack? Uh, baked Lay's. He does like baked Lay's and they're very loud when we watch shows. I love baked Lay's. Um, <laughs> Sweet tarts, baked lays, sour patch kids. You you gotta pick one. It's baked lays. It's baked lays. <laughs> I like fruit. I mean, we're we eat a lot of fruit here. Yeah. Okay. This is I've been waiting for this question. This is the one we're gonna end on. Pick up pet peeve. What do you hate when people do? When you oh man. Um we're very serious about pickup here. <laughs> I have a lot of them. I I don't like when people show up late. 
because I like like to have an idea of what the numbers are. Like if I'm going to have to play neutral or just I, it's just kind of disrespectful. You're going to get to play neutral. Get to play neutral. <laughs> uh, it's kind of disrespectful to me also, like unless you have a legitimate reason. I, I hate like chronically late people, people that don't pass. Like I love when people are good dribblers, but also dribble in select areas. But people that just don't pass at all, it's like it's pickup. You're supposed to share the ball. We all came out here to touch the ball, not just you. And then people who are not respectful of the game, I would say, uh, like, don't take it seriously or just kicking people randomly. Don't play seriously if there are women around and don't respect the fact that they're hoopers. Um, Just people who don't respect the game in that way, I think. Yeah, well, you did steal several of mine. Not steal. <laughs> I think we're very aligned on this because actually, for those of you listening, we met playing pickup. So I think the fact that we share some of the same pet peeves and stuff is probably why we're sitting here today, <laughs> <laughs> like what, 12 years later. Um, I think, yeah, I think you hit on it. I was trying to pick as you're talking my number one because all those things irritate me. And I would say above anything else, the not trying, mm. like it's pickup, but it's, it's a small-sided game. Yeah. And so for me, if you're messing around, trying to meg people too much, you've done that before once or twice. But but w- within the feel of the game, if you're not, if if winning the game and, and doing it with your teammates is not why you're there, for, yeah. and if that presents itself in any way, like silly tricks, not trying, not defending, anything like that, like it's just not fun to play. So yeah. I think that's probably sure. the biggest one for yeah. both of us is like, we are so insanely competitive yeah. that if you're like not playing, you can play and have fun, but if you're not at least playing to win, yeah. why are you even here? <laughs> yeah, I'm getting mad. Um, so I think as you guys could tell, we could do this for hours. Actually, we do this for hours. So when we stop this call and stop this podcast, we're going to continue, but sorry, Keep you guys are left out. Yeah, We'll be here sitting here with this microphone, just talking. Uh, but we really appreciate you listening. Thank you. I have to say, we really appreciate it. Like, this is our podcast like, now. Yeah. Podcast thank you too. for joining me. Yeah, um, actually, mostly me. shout out to my parents for watching the kids while we do this. But really appreciate you guys. Stay tuned for the rest of season two. We're going to delve in deep on some fun topics and very interesting topics. So maybe Aaron will be back, but we appreciate you listening in. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently, by using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies, we keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success.